Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. So Podgo is the easiest way for you to, to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you're going to get, right? So apply today, you become a member and you can start reading ads, you know, as soon as you get accepted and you get paid, you get paid a flat rate within 24 hours. So make sure to check out podgo.co, that's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And uh, be sure to add our podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application. the language of the universe but i don't understand it hello everybody and welcome back to the math and physics podcast i'm your host parker and i'm ray and we welcome you to episode number 44 where today we are going to be talking about rocket science rocket science <laughs> before we get into it quick uh, quick fact when i was a kid like i'm talking like eight years old i think rocket science was that one subject that i thought you know was almost impossible to be <laughs> and anyone in that field is a genius right because that very common phrase i don't think we use anymore but it's not rocket science right that was most likely the most difficult subject that i'd ever ever encountered because i didn't understand it yeah until, obviously, I came across quantum mechanics. So, Parker, what do you think? Have you heard of rocket science before? Do you, do you enjoy it? Uh, in fact, I have heard of rocket science. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, as a kid, you always imagine, like, rocket science is, like, this crazy, like, next-level scientist with glasses on, like, writing <laughs> things on a blackboard. Yeah. But, I mean, actually, it's just classical mechanics, essentially. It's just... I mean, we're actually going to get mm -hmm. into this as our first topic of discussion, but it's pretty much just like, quote unquote, simple equations that you can yeah. tie to like the motion of objects. Basic projectile motion, like, you know, the way you throw a ball, mm -hmm. like w when you're trying to throw a ball to your friend, the same logic applies with rock. Well, the same logic, but it's not exactly the same. In, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the same logic that applies, not necessarily the same thing. Mm -hmm. But before we get into the podcast, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, some, some news. But before we talk about the news, let's address the last episode, shall we? Sure. So the last episode yeah. brought in quite a few interesting comments <laughs> on our uh, YouTube video. And obviously, we're always, you know, open to comments, reading what you guys think about it. They were interesting. Yeah, I mean, they obviously people have their, yeah. their theories and everything. But we, we did say we would answer every single comment. And we haven't actually yeah. answered every comment because I mean, some people just like to reject science as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then it's that very hard to have a discussion with that kind mm -hmm. of person so if you read the comments though like i think we did try to <laughs> yeah. uh, explain or at least uh, reply to everyone that you know commented a certain mm -hmm. thing but it's just that you know a certain certain comments simply like you know kept replying to us and just just rejecting what we were trying to tell them and that just kind of doesn't make any sense right because like we're out here trying to explain some science mm -hmm. and you're just like no that's just wrong and I'm like, but it's it's right. You're like, no, it's wrong. So like, what do you want? I can't say anything to that. So yeah, from now on, we're going to move on from the flat earth epoch of the math and physics podcast. For sure, for sure. Probably never going to revisit that <laughs> ever again. <laughs> never a part two? No part twos? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I don't think so. I don't May think so. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We have time to think about it. Other than that, we are uh, 5,000 downloads away from 50,000 downloads. That's amazing. So That's amazing. if you want to support the podcast, make sure to go download a bunch of episodes that you haven't listened to. <laughs> and also remember to follow the podcast on Spotify, YouTube, on Apple, or oh, yes, Podbean, or Google, anywhere sure. you listen to this right here. Also, if you have any mm -hmm. questions or you want to keep up with us while we're not recording the podcast, you can visit mm -hmm. us on Instagram, where we do post clips of the podcast. Oh, yeah, true. Um, that is at math.physics.podcast. Yeah, our, our clips, interestingly enough, I think uh, I think some people are really liking it. Like, uh, we, we got a few comments on a few clips that, you know, you guys are liking it. And you guys like the, you know, these these short, shorter versions, you know, certain topics. So, you know, it's good. It's good. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. Also, somebody sent us an email 
His name is Carlos. I don't know if these. I don't know if this data is actually one hundred percent accurate. Okay. But apparently, we're like the number one physics podcast in Austria from Apple Podcast. In on Apple Podcast, and the number two physics podcast in India. Oh. I think we're like number five in the UK, number eight in Canada. So that's, that's pretty hype. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So thank you to everybody. That's amazing. Yeah. So obviously, thank you to all our listeners because like you guys are the only ones that are making this possible. And uh, one more thing, one quick thing before we get into it, uh, you guys might have been noticing, or at least the ones that watch uh, the what the YouTube videos, that we have a few changes with our layout. Like first, we just did the standard Zoom layout. Now I'm kind of like, you know, editing it, putting the logo in certain places. Like we might be changing it. So if you guys have any suggestions, any ideas, be sure to let us know. All righty. So, yeah, so maybe we can get into it. Rocket. <laughs> I was going to throw a cheap joke and say, you know, maybe it is okay. rocket science. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the guy, first thing man, I would like to talk about is the famous rocket equation all right so if you're gonna study okay because rockets are very special right and they're very subjective to our human method of propulsion right Mm -hmm. the way we burn gas and we turn that energy into kinetic energy right is of course not the only way to gain kinetic energy but it's it's relatively easy for us to do and that's why you see you know cars working off of gas and naturally you know planes and then rockets and the fact Mm -hmm. is that gas or not necessarily gas but fuel i guess is the more general term the fuel has a mass okay and the act of burning (laughs) that actually reduces the mass and because you're actually carrying that mass with you it's like the faster you go the lighter you weigh and so it's different from just a regular like projectile motion equation but it does hold a lot of the a lot of similar ideas real quick though it's not really faster you go the less you weigh it's just like as you burn more the less you weigh which causes you to go faster not necessarily faster because you do have to consider the effects of gravity no of course of course i'm yeah. just saying by uh by there there being less and less weight in in the fuel tank you're mm-hmm. just naturally going going faster also because of gravity and air pressure and all that stuff mm-hmm. but you know it's kind of like a cause and effect anyways yeah continue continue yeah so i was gonna say that projectile motion is of course the first thing you would study if you wanted to really understand the motion of rockets and then well not necessarily orbital mechanics because that's kind of a separate entity i mean orbital mechanics from like from the rocket equation you don't really need to understand yeah true true you don't need to understand okay yeah anyways they're related but they're related but separate so i was gonna say that in projectile motion you know obviously this is a podcast at the end of the day. I'm not going to spell out the yeah. equations for you. <laughs> but they, they just deal with, uh, obviously, the, the velocity of an object along its trajectory, as well as its position, its height in the X, in the Y direction and all that, all that stuff. But things do change when you have like a variable mass. And so the rocket equation does take that into um, consideration. So imagine your rocket is at like m naught. So just the initial mass is just the mass of the rocket, including the mass of all the fuel. And after a certain amount of time, your rocket has accelerated. So it does have an increase in velocity, but to the expense of a decrease of mass. But as we all know, the the thrust, I guess, kind of well, not the thrust, but the effect of the thrust on the rocket depends on the mass of the rocket of itself. Mm-hmm. So if we have like a constant thrust, but we have a heavier rocket, it's going to take more time to accelerate than a mm-hmm. lighter rocket. Mm-hmm. But since the mass is decreasing with time, then you have to take into consideration how the rocket is not only accelerating, but it's accelerating faster as time goes on. It's jerking. That is kind of the that that is kind of the essence of the rocket mm-hmm. equation. Um, if you want to do like your own research, it's called the 
Tsiolkovsky rocket equation. Yeah. We will link it in the description or whatever if you guys do want to check it By out. By the way, I don't know if you heard that quick quick joke that I made reference to uh, Cal- uh, does math even exist or something when I said uh, it's, it's jerking. <laughs> yeah. Like when you said the acceleration is increasing. It's jerking if you think about it, that's right? That's true. That That's true. <laughs> yeah. So uh, talking about, you know, how thrust changes like even though constant thrust you know changes how fast you're going an important metric i was actually going to kind of talk about this a little bit later when we got into like uh, like you know fuel types and stuff because it gets important but since you bring it up something called thrust to weight ratio very very easily explained it's the ratio of the rocket's thrust to its weight right and as Mm -hmm. like for example if there's one engine let's say and one fuel tank and this rocket is just shooting itself up into space. Nothing too complicated. As the fuel starts to decrease, right, as you stated, your acceleration is going to increase because also your mass is lower. So your effective weight is lower. So in all rockets, your thrust-to-weight ratio usually, obviously, increases from launch. Yeah? Yeah, I just wanted to say that you also need to consider the effects of gravity because the further you are away from the Earth, the less like your apparent weight. That's exactly why it's called thrust to weight yeah. and not like thrust to mass ratio mm-hmm. or anything like that. Even though I do believe there is a metric for that. Mm-hmm. But when obviously you're... like when you're not under Earth's influence. But this is why like for Earth especially because there is a surface thrust to weight which is thrust to weight and mm-hmm. there's a there's an orbital thrust to weight I believe and that's the probably the mass one that we deal with. Yeah. Because once again gravity plays a very important role in uh, in orbital mechanics and how rockets get into space right so yeah so thrust the weight has a pretty important role in that yeah, yeah we also use that to our advantage right when we do mm-hmm. what is it gra- gravitational uh like elastic what, what's it called the slow oh, the slingshot right gravitational slingshot oh gravity assist gravity assist yeah no that's that's when we're already out though that's when we're already in space yeah. if we want to take advantage of you know like a planet like for example, but this is a prob- probably a very popular example. New Horizons, the New Horizons telescope was out to get pictures of Pluto. Problem is, Pluto is really far, and I think people know that. You know, it's very very far from where we are. So I mean, we will get there, but it's going to take a long time. So what you know, the scientists did is they took a gravity slingshot or a gravity assist from Jupiter, and obviously it would make more sense to do a Jupiter. most massive planet most massive gravitational influence so the idea was that a gravity assist is let's say a planet is rotating i don't know west to east or in a certain direction basically if your spacecraft travels in that same direction that the planet is moving in it basically steals a little bit of rotational Mm -hmm. energy from the planet now obviously relative to the planet it's nothing it's microscopic but relative to the spacecraft it's huge right you can get huge boosts of velocity and this has everything to do with conservation of angular momentum exactly 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 this has everything to do with angular momentum in orbits right because whenever you're slingshotting you're basically you have a I mean, I guess we don't want to get too deep, but like you have something called a hyperbolic orbit. Mm -hmm. What that means is you're not really restricted to a certain orbit. You're just, you're touching it and you're going. We'll actually talk about the types of orbits when we talk about Kepler's laws. No, we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, but with talking about gravity assists, we can also talk about the opposite, which is a gravity break. Mm. And I think it's pretty obvious, you know, if gravity assist is you have to go in the same direction as the planet, gravity break is when you're going in the opposite direction so again going a little technical this is so exciting for me i love (laughs) this topic by the way quick quick note so exciting so when you're going with the direction of the planet that's called prograde like you're going in the prograde direction and when you're going in the opposite direction that's called retrograde and i think people might have heard of retrograde motion in planets you know how mars seems to kind of go backwards in space at some times of years uh, at some times in the year so probably heard of that term so yeah so gravity break is kind of the opposite of the gravity assist where you can basically lose speed if let's say you want to you know get into an orbit or something so you can lose speed but not to be confused though by the way 
for retrograde motion, it's different yeah. from like a gravity break. Oh, no, like, no, no. Very different because gravity break is actually retrograde orbit. Like retrograde motion is actually called apparent retrograde motion because it's not actually mm -hmm. moving backwards. And we have talked about this on have our, I, I don't know, I don't know which no astronomy way. episode, but we have three out right now. We talked about it in one. We of only them. have three. We have yeah. three, right? Mm-hmm. We definitely need another astronomy episode. <laughs> oh, we will actually. Let us know if you guys want that. Our our thermodynamics professor is oh, actually true. like a dark true. matter yeah. type of researcher. So, and she actually said that she wants to talk about dark matter on the podcast. So, we might set that up very soon. But okay, I know we didn't mention this, but you just I think you know what I'm <laughs> going to say, but you reminded me of yeah. the fact that we might have a guest over. I just want to tell everyone the next podcast, the one after this, episode number 45, is going to be probably... It's going to be so hype. <laughs> the biggest podcast that we have ever recorded. It is going to be with yeah. a very big YouTuber. You definitely know him if you're anywhere in the math field. You know, it's, it's amazing. Very, very big opportunity. <clears throat> Again, not to like, you know, say that the other ones weren't as big, but I'm just saying this is very, very big mm. as well. So anyway, anyways, this kind of we kind of went tangent. Yeah. But hope you guys are. Yeah, very very excited for that. Hope you guys are sure. excited for that episode. Of course, I did want to talk about Kepler's laws. Oh, so Kepler, one hundred percent. Johannes Kepler, right? He is a famous astronomer. I don't know if he was a physicist or anything else like that, but he's most famous for his astronomy, and his. Uh, this was back in the sixteen hundreds, and mm -hmm. he. He used to look at planets and try to explain everything that was going on. Back in the day, my favorite expression, right? Back in the day, <laughs> everyone thought that orbits were circular because, you know, the, the space and God is perfect. So everything must move in perfect circles. And that actually, that idea delayed a lot of advancements in the field because you have to actually let go of that idea to make accurate calculations. And this is actually one of Kepler's laws. It's first law actually, and it's the law of ellipsis. So this law is pretty simple. It just says that every every uh, like body in space um, goes along an elliptical orbit. And so turns out that a circle is a special case of an ellipse but it's very rare to find a like perfect circle orbit. Turns out the Earth is, of course, on an elliptical orbit, but it is very close to a circular orbit, but it's not exactly, right? That's why you can kind of approximate the distance from the Earth to the Sun, but sometimes during the year, we're actually closer to the Sun. Sometimes we're actually further from the Sun. It also turns out that that doesn't have much of an effect on like the heat being received right it, just because True. we're we spoke about this yeah we we did talk about this but yeah. you know just because you're a little bit closer to the sun on your orbit turns out that little bit is so little that it doesn't affect the temperature of the earth at all exactly because relative to spatial and astro uh, astronomical distances that distance is very little mm -hmm. also talking about you know just elliptical orbits like maybe a kind of important term when it comes to that the semi-major axis Right. So in every elliptical orbit, you have two very important points. You have the periapsis and the apoapsis. Now, depending on what planet or star they're orbiting, they're sometimes called different things. Like if it's around Earth, it's perigee, apogee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if it's the sun, it's perihelion, aphelion, stuff like that. But basically the general term, periapsis, apoapsis. Mm -hmm. So what do these mean? So... In any elliptical orbit, right, there's obviously a center, and there's and which is usually in this case, let's say the sun. There are two. Oh, there are two. Technically, there. Yes, that that is that is true. But I'm saying in orbits, mm -hmm. you know, in orbits, usually there's just one focus in this case, and we have some distance. Actually, that's not that's not correct either. Okay. There there are always two like foci. It's technically but just one of them will have will have like a planet. Yeah, because it's only orbiting one of them, though. Yeah, but both of them are still present. Like, both foci are still there. 
because every ellipse has two. Okay. So you can't just say the other one doesn't exist. Yeah, because I was, I was, because as I was saying it, I wasn't sure about that. Okay. Okay. So okay. So, okay. So I guess. No, the thing is that the, the, there's always two, but the like the thing that the object is orbiting around is at one of the foci. That's it. Okay. Okay. So they're always two. It's at mm -hmm. one of them. Okay. Anyways, the point I'm trying to make is the apoapsis is the largest distance that let's say we're talking about the earth. So the apoapsis is the largest distance that the earth is from the sun. So the farthest it's away and the periapsis is the closest it's to the sun. So any, every single orbit will have a periapsis and an apoapsis. If it's a perfectly circular orbit, which is basically impossible, but if it's a perfectly circular orbit, the periapsis and apoapsis are equal. So this thing that I was kind of talking about earlier, the semi-major axis. <laughs> wow, so many terms that we're introducing. But yeah, so the semi-major axis is the average of the apoapsis and the periapsis. So it kind of, kind of gives you an idea of roughly on average how far this body is from this other body. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, we were just yeah, mentioning so Kepler's law, so I thought that was important. A very fun fact really quickly let's hear there it. is no equation okay to calculate the circumference of an ellipse that is that is true that is true it doesn't exist <laughs> there are there are ways to approximate it i know ramunajan has an equation that is very good at approximating the circumference but there there's no formula you can't you can't just That's plug tough. in numbers and get an exact answer tough. so fun fact so the second the, or Kepler's second law, right? That states that any, the, okay. I didn't think about this before saying it, but an orbit sweeps out equal areas in equal time intervals. Let me explain that. So, oh, wow, this would, I'm actually thinking this would be so much, so like what's, it would help so much with a visualizer or like to, to kind of show what I'm talking about. I think, I think to put it simply, how would you? Yeah, I, I can't think of a way to. If if we if we had to explain it, this is this is much easier if you were to just watch okay, this. On yeah, YouTube. it really would be. But because when when a planet or a body or whatever is further away from the object, it's moving slower. But as it gets attracted by fast. the force exactly. of gravity, right, it starts accelerating and moves faster. And so, in equal periods of time, it's gonna like the it's going to sweep out like a wider triangle when it's closer to the sun rather than when it's further away mm -hmm. or technically wider arc. Cause it's kind of like a part of an ellipse. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. It's going to have a longer yeah. arc when it, than when it's further mm -hmm. away. <clears throat> and so it just turns out that when you look at a set uh, amount of time, the area that it sweeps out. So you calculate like this triangular shape with the arc uh, of the, orbit and then the distance to the, the center, sun yeah. you calculate that area that area is going to be constant for no matter where mm -hmm. you are on the mm -hmm. orbit so i don't know to be honest i don't know how he figured that, that is out. a pretty <laughs> interesting thing to figure out when you don't really have anything to it it can be derived though when you when you just take into consideration like the exchange of energy like from potential to uh, kinetic and like you of course you have like the position of the sun and then the distance to the sun and then you can calculate that exchange of energy and from there when you restrict um the time interval you can derive that the area is equal all over but you know the you kind of have to have that idea in the first place you know you I don't think you just stumble upon that idea, which is pretty interesting. I don't even, I don't even know how he, how, how he began to th think of that though. Like, yeah. And it's crazy how it's true though. Like it's like, it's absolutely true. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense though. It makes absolute perfect mm -hmm. sense because the far, the farther you are away from a planet, you know, the slower you're traveling. Mm -hmm. And if you're very, very close, you're going faster. So real, real quick though, um, I might have to add this at the end of the clip cause I forgot to mention this, but a quick thing about gravity assists. So the the way that so the phenomenon <laughs> that the way that works is known as the Oberth effect. I just I just think that it's kind of important because we were talking about it and I forgot to mention it and I just remembered. So the Oberth effect basically states that the closer you are in orbit to a planet, the faster you're traveling. 
So again, by going close to the planet in the same direction, of course, you kind of pick up speed. And that's, that's how gravity assists work. And is also why, you know, Kepler's second law works, for example, because the entire Kepler's second law depends on the spacecraft or planet or whatever, traveling at slower speeds farther away. And slower mm -hmm. speeds farther away is given by the Oberth effect. Yeah, but once again, that has everything to do with the exchange of energy, right? So the yeah, closer you of get... Course. I was, you're, I was you're, kind of saying what, it, what it's called. Like yeah. it's just a formal name that people use it in. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, so the closer you get, you're just, you're kind of burning off that potential energy into kinetic energy. So you start mm -hmm. just moving faster. And then when you, the opposite happens when you move away. Any astronomy course or any like grade 12 physics, you probably oh, yeah. would have done this. Actually, no. I don't yes, remember doing what? this in grade 12. Come. Anyways, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really? maybe. You definitely I, I, did I this in grade 12. Really Come remember. on. Yes, 100%. Sure. sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was because it was a whole unit for us. Like mm. orbits. Like not orbits in general, but like, you know, just gravity. It was the gravity unit where we spoke okay. about all this stuff. Sure. Yeah. So, so continuing on to the third. The last law, the last great law. And this law is actually as impressive as the last two. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Essentially, it relates the period of the orbit to the distance from or to the focus in this case. Let's just talk about the Earth and the Sun just to make it easier. Mm -hmm. So the, the distance, and as I said earlier, because the orbit of the Earth is nearly circular, you can kind of approximate that distance by using the semi-major axis because it's actually the average distance in during the entire orbit and this goes for like even very eccentric orbits and eccentricity mm -hmm. is just kind of like how like how, how yeah how stretched you you bring stretched out the ellipse. Is, i think a nice way to explain that um yeah and so the relationship is that the period squared and this is in years and the units matter in this case you can't just mm. use any unit for sure but the, the period squared is proportional to the semer sorry semi major Sem axis cubed right and the semi major mm -hmm. axis has to be calculated in astronomic astronomical units damn i can't talk yeah so <laughs> but, um, <laughs> glitched out there if if you don't know what an astronomical unit is it is simply the distance from the earth to the sun average average the semi-major axis yes exactly and if i remember it's like a hundred oh i don't know the number 150 million <laughs> kilometers 200 250 million kilometers something like that no idea but what i do know is the distance is also eight light minutes, eight and a half light minutes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think this is, a, this is a common fact that I think some physicists like to, you know, say, or like physics people like to say, hey, I know this cool fact. Because like if the sun died today, you know, blew up today, it would still take eight and a half minutes for us to know. So that's, that's right. It's a cool fact and to talk about. Something amazing about the law of harmonies is that he was able, like once he came up with this law, he was able to like compare it to the data that they had based on just observing the positions of planets. And it came out to be, you know, very beautiful in the end because when something is proportional to something else, the ratio of those two is going to be just some number. And mm -hmm. so he took that ratio for every planet and it turns out to be like a constant number for every single pair of planet sun and so that just confirmed his 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 law and that must have been so cool you know i mean like, at the time it was probably kepler's theory it still yeah. takes like a good two <laughs> three hundred years for it to actually become yeah. a law but when but you like, uh, imagine you come up with an idea you're like okay what if that's this insane. is how it works and then you go to insane. test it out and then boom it comes out you get you get a number you try it for a different pair you get the same number and every single time you try it, you like, get the exact I'm same number. The satisfaction you must yeah, feel. That's got to be crazy. When you, when you see that all of these observations are matching your 
your uh, your hypothesis or your theory or whatever oh my god that satisfaction <laughs> must be insane yeah oh and my. by the way um i didn't actually like i don't i don't know for sure if that's how he did it like i don't know if he came up with a theory first and then checked it with the data or if he saw the data and then he he saw that when he took the ratio you get a constant number and then he that's made actually the law. that that's probably more possible that's, that's possible that's possible yeah. no but like to to get p or the period squared with the semi-major axis cubed and obviously yeah. there's it's a, just a proportionality relationship yeah but there is like a there is a constant factor right yeah. so like to to, to to get i don't know to to get those i would say he derived it he derived the equation first you think but so? this is completely opinionated <laughs> i can't i can't say this for sure i mean obviously yeah we're, we're not sure about this we're just thinking about it so continuing on one thing um i think i wanted to talk about because we are talking about rocket science let's talk about rockets you know actual rockets that have flown into space or at least missions. Let's let's talk a little bit just about, you know, important missions and, you know, just just like some important stuff about them. So I think I think uh the first most important one is Sputnik 1. I think this is the most important mission in humanity's history. Now, yes, there's a lot of saying that oh, the Americans could have got there first, but the Russians did, you know. That, that's the story. The Russians did. But why do you think it's the most important? Because it is the single mission that started the space age. Because after... Because see, there was a... I think the entire region, reason of the whole, the whole space age was basically the Cold War. And this sparked up all of this... All of this, you know, this, this crazy either political and scientific rivalries between these two countries. And that obviously caused them to you know, breakthrough. And this was obviously an advantage in the scientific community. But I definitely believe that Sputnik 1 was, you know, the, the starter, the, the spark to the rest of them. So Sputnik 1 mm -hmm. was launched on October 4th, 1957. That's 12 years before the moon landing. Right. And I mean, obviously, this wasn't a very like it wasn't really a crazy mission or anything. I just I just think it was meant to kind of scan atmospheric skies and just basically signal back to Earth that, hey, I'm in space. So it lasted for, I think, like 21 days. So it wasn't very successful, mm -hmm. but its batteries I died mean, it after 21 days. Let me say that its batteries died after 21 days. And it actually burned up into, you know, and came back onto Earth, I think, like two, three months later on January 4th on uh, the next year. And that's simply because of atmospheric drag, right? Like, even though it technically was in a stable orbit for, you know, about 10, 15 days, there's still atmosphere even 200 kilometers up. So it just kept, you know, kept depreciating, mm -hmm. depreciating until it fell in. I know I said it was an unsuccessful mission. I didn't mean that. I, I thought about it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mean that. <laughs> and that's kind of crazy though, if you think about it. Cuz nowadays we have like I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be in like the thousands, right, of satellites what? orbiting Earth. Oh yeah. Yeah. What I mean, uh Starlink with Elon yeah. Musk's program, I think it meant to release is meant to launch like a thousand microsatellites. Yeah. And if like it's hard to really imagine because of the scale of the Earth, of course. But when you mm -hmm. think of like, well, there are thousands of satellites orbiting the Earth. Like, mm -hmm. how come they don't crash into each other? <laughs> so <laughs> the, the answer to that is because, of course, there are different kind of altitudes when you orbit. Mm -hmm. There's like the low orbit and there's higher orbits. Low Earth orbit. Yeah, high Earth orbits. Exactly. Yeah. And so the actual like distance, like the average separation between the satellites is absolutely incredible and the odds that they do hit each other is it's, it's huge it's huge the odds that they hit each other is very minute right? but again it's not that's not even the biggest difference though the biggest difference between all these satellites aren't really the distance from earth but it's also the angle because all of these satellites have so many different orbital inclinations like, you know, because if you think about it, there's a there's a whole 180 degrees of orbital or technically 90 if you think about it. Because, mm -hmm. no, there's 
No, there's a whole 180 actually. Yeah, there's a whole 180 degrees of orb of inclination that you have to choose from. The ISS, okay, I mean, I don't know this at the back of my hand, but like the ISS obviously runs at a certain inclination and for its whole life until it, I mean, unless it corrects itself, it's going to be continuing in that same inclination. So a big part of why these satellites don't hit each other is also because they're not only so far away, but their like their orbits are nowhere similar, because mm -hmm. people think like that satellites are only in like these circular disks outside of Earth. That is that is not true because again there is a whole three dimensions that you guys probably didn't think of. <laughs> so that that whole that whole other dimension, those two dimensions, are fully able to you know control the inclination. Mm -hmm. So it's the inclination that also plays a pretty big role in. And why satellites don't hit each other every day. And of course, when you put a satellite into space, like you, you already know like exactly where you're putting it. And you know like where you put it is going to be safe. And it's not going to just randomly knock into another one. And, mm -hmm. you know, you plan these things exactly. out. You, you, you don't just throw it into space and you just mm -hmm. hope it stays up there. Also, usually when you want to get anything into space, you can't just get it into space. Like you need to obviously have mm -hmm. certain... I believe, especially for outer space, like if you want to put something there, you need obviously like, you know, federal permission and everything. Like SpaceX also, if you think about it, didn't really just launch their first rocket without without saying anything to anyone, right? Like they had to mm -hmm. have made everyone know that, hey, listen, we're putting something in the air. Is that actually illegal to just go to space? <laughs> like what if, what if I made my rocket and go and went to space? I'm pretty sure you can't, you, you can't, no, 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 not going. I think putting something there because I still think a lot of it is like not owned but i think controlled by governments but that's bullshit though <laughs> like like what if i made a rocket and went to space like what, what are they gonna do i mean that's what a flat earther tried to do actually to prove that the earth was flat that's <laughs> you failed miserably well that's funny. but like yeah that's, that's, funny. that's a funny story <laughs> but uh yeah so talking about because like we were talking about missions I think also because the episode is titled Rocket Science and we are talking about rockets. Let's talk about the rocket behind, you know, Sputnik. And it was the Soyuz rocket. The Soyuz rocket, such a famous rocket, I think still used today. I can, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So all of these rockets, especially the Russian ones, like the Proton rocket, the, what's the heavy lifter? Man, I forgot the name of the heavy lifter. Uh, I, I mean, I can search it up later, but all basically all of these rockets, right, they ha all have one purpose, to get something into space. And after Sputnik 1, we had a pretty, like, we had a lot of, again, rivalry between these two countries. And then, if you guys have seen Hidden Figures, good movie, by the way, uh, then right after Sputnik and some other stuff happened, these guys are like, hey, let's launch the first human into space. And I believe America did that first. And I think that was a pretty big moment as well. Mm -hmm. Technically, it's just a glorified like airplane ride, you know, <laughs> like they just went, they went like out of the atmosphere and then came back down, you know, for like the first, the first human in space, they just went up and it orbited and then came down. So it's just like, it's like a fancy airplane ride. I did want to say though, that the Sputnik one was 58 centimeters in diameter this thing was absolutely tiny you can hold it in your arms is this this is probably like 58 centimeters it's absolutely tiny they put a battery in there they put like a little receptor so they can keep track of where it is but other than that it's just a hunk of metal with wires on it and after what was it 21 days they just went out and uh i mean it, it was a gigantic it was, that itself was a huge step for man First of all, and it, it orbited like fourteen hundred times because it was like going twenty one days. Like you know, obviously, like or orbital periods are pretty short. Like ISS orbital period is like ninety days, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, sorry, ninety minutes, ninety minutes. So it it orbits pretty yeah. fast, yeah. and obviously the Sputnik was probably even lower than the ISS. So it's not only experiencing more mm -hmm. uh, like you know faster orbits, but also more drag. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, like a common common thought is that the orbit or the atmosphere of Earth kind of goes until like 100 kilometers. Because most people say 
that is kind of that, that that's the border mm-hmm. of the atmosphere and space however that's not entirely true because the earth's atmosphere actually extends for like thousands of kilometers and even though obviously you can't notice it because the pressure is basically zero but it's not zero and that's the whole thing so even at like 400 500 kilometers oh that's still that's still really low like i'm saying even at a thousand kilometers away from the earth you still uh measure a uh you know atmospheric drag so a spacecraft that is 500 kilometers away from a planet has to correct itself every x number of orbits just so it can stay in space well, Which it's, it's too bad cool. we were never trained to deal with air resistance, you know. Yeah. I'm serious, <laughs> it's so sad. Never, not once have we learned that. You know, actually you actually do a air resistance problem in uh your differential equations class. Oh, really? Well, I'm because I'm, you, I'm excited for that. Because I'm excited your for that. velocity depends on obviously your acceleration, which is you know, gravity, but mm-hmm. it also depends on air drag. And so that's why you see um, like a terminal velocity because at some point the drag kind of uh, cancels out with the acceleration. And so mm-hmm. your your solution just kind of flattens out as your velocity mm-hmm. versus time just flattens out. So you do deal with that kind of problem, but in no way do you like put it into context with with other like important air resistance uh, physical mm-hmm. applications and all that stuff. Also, Sputnik 1 on its way down, like it com- it completely burned up. And obviously the reason it's burning up is because it's still going at thousands of kilometers per second when mm-hmm. it's coming into the Earth. Because, a s- oh yeah, we didn't even mention this number. The stable orbit, I believe, no, this is not stable. This Because this is still like 300 kilometers. So... <laughs> this, this is going to sound so nerdy and braggy, but <laughs> when I was a kid, I calculated, uh, and I'm, I, when I kid, I'm saying like 12, maybe younger. I calculated the, um, the, what do you call it? The orbital velocity of a spacecraft, 250, 300 kilometers away from the earth. And I'm going to give you a reason why in a minute. So I calculated it and it's around 7.7. And again, this is still 200 kilometers up. So I'm saying like if your average spacecraft, like 500, that's like a good eight, nine kilometers per second. So imagine this thing that's traveling at, if it's really close, it's probably at seven kilometers a second, let's say. Oh, wait, I'm thinking about it the other way. The the farther away, the slower you are. Sorry. So it'd be lower if you're higher. Sorry. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is you're really fast when you're coming into the earth, you know, when you don't have a an aerobrake maneuver planned. So Apollo mm-hmm. 11, which we're going to be getting into, had a specific way of landing, of coming back to Earth, which is like aerobraking, right? And they used it to their advantage. And obviously Sputnik didn't do that because they just wanted to get something into space. But coming in at that speed, it basically just burnt the whole thing up. So that's so it didn't really survive at all. The reason why it's so dangerous to just like come back into the atmosphere is because of friction and so friction is not a conserved force and like gravity is a conserved force because like you go up and you feel a force of gravity and it weakens right but then you come back down the force of gravity gets higher right but friction is only one way like if you go if you go up you feel friction and if you go back down you feel friction I don't know if that was mm-hmm. a good explanation, but anyways. Okay, I mean, you, you you can kind of think about it as you know, like pressure around the on, around the thing. Like if you're breaking through something, you're gonna feel friction on the top. If you're coming down, you're gonna feel friction on the bottom. Is that what you're trying to say? I guess, but let me just continue here. I was gonna okay, say, okay, continue. When you have a conservative force, you have um, let's just let's just talk in the in the framework of gravity right so as an object being influenced by gravity you do have this interplay between kinetic and uh potential energy and so you know if we're just talking about like small scales you can calculate the potential energy mgh right and then the kinetic energy if you were to let go of that object like what would be the kinetic energy as it uh hit the earth um you can kind of 
like pour that energy into like if you have two cups one potential one kinetic you can kind of pour those energies back and forth right when it comes to friction though it only takes away right it, it takes like in this case potential energy because when you do reach that terminal velocity you can't gain more um kinetic energy because your velocity is staying the same but you're losing um potential energy because you're getting closer and closer to the earth so where does that energy go well it turns into thermal energy through friction so the air is kind of like this barrier it's kind of like swimming in maple syrup you know you you try to go at <laughs> you, you try to go faster but it's just hard you know you're trying as hard as you <laughs> can but, you, but you, you just can't go faster no matter how hard you try right? it's like a barrier and you right what i just said and so mm -hmm. uh the friction that arises is literally like the air molecules just hitting <laughs> hitting your body and and turning that kinetic energy into heat and so when you have an object like Sputnik and it's re-entering the atmosphere, it becomes so hot that it literally burns up for no reason. Well, you know, as a, as a person looking up in the sky, same thing with like meteorites, why they're so bright. It's literally a fireball, but it seems like it's magic, right? That fireball is actually just a rock moving through the air, but it's exactly. moving so fast that it it's just getting hot and it gets so hot that it just like combusts like magic almost exactly it just burns it basically burns in the sky yeah that's the whole thing right and that and that's why you know nowadays we have all these complicated thing called ablative heat shields where this thing called ablators basically prevent you know kind of it 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 goes off as more air molecules hit it and there's a set num there's a set amount of quote unquote ablators all this ablative uh, shield, right? So most, if not all, you know, capsules that are trying to land back into Earth have a heat shield. And obviously that protects them, you know, from, from frying up. Mm -hmm. And Ray, let me know if I'm wrong here, but okay, I'm pretty sure that um, the same concept with like the potential energy turning into thermal energy, it also, uh, like a part of it turns into um, like... Sound, son, sonar energy like what's sound like the energy of sound you know what i mean no i know i know what you're trying to say and that's but... why that's why in space like when you're flying in space there's no like like it's not the same as like an airplane flying in the air right you wouldn't hear that like sound no, of course you, you wouldn't hear it because there's right? no medium for it to propagate but I'm saying because yeah. sound requires a medium to propagate. So technically, yeah, there would be sound energy being yeah, like, created. Like either way, you wouldn't hear it because there's no medium. But what I'm saying is that there's no air. And so there's no like there's no propagation of that of that. Like, I don't, I don't know what it's called. I need to Google this <laughs> sonar energy, like sound energy. What's the name for that? I know what you're saying, though. I don't know. It kind of slips my mind. Okay, it just says sound energy. Okay, so sound, <laughs> sound energy. Okay, so sound energy. Yeah, it does. That's another example of like <clears throat> something like friction, where even though it's very like a very small amount of energy goes into like producing a sound, but it's still it's it's, a, it's like a one way street, right? Once mm -hmm. you produce that sound, you can never like absorb that energy back. Mm -hmm, and, exactly. And, and yeah. interesting thing about sound, I don't know why, I just thought of this, and I think this is a really interesting fact. In ev in any rocket launch, if you've ever seen a rocket launch, you've probably seen right near the engines, these huge water towers. And right before they launch, they spray exorbitant amounts of water. <laughs> like, exuberant. so much water, you don't even know. It's it, I mean, some people call it wasting, but it's for a reason, and that's the reason I'm trying to give you. But... <laughs> Basically, you see, you know, exorbitant amount of water just just poured onto onto the engines, and you're like, well, why is this happening? So, sound energy plays a much bigger role than we think, right? And we usually think, oh, like sound is just, you know, it just allows me to hear it. But when we come to rockets, the word you are looking for is exorbitant, not exorbitant. Oh, oh, oops. <laughs> 
incorrect That's grammar. Fine, right there. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, exorbit. Sorry, say that again. Exorber. Exorbitant. Exorbitant. Really? Yeah, exorbitant. I never knew that. Exorbitant. So it's exorbitant. I just googled it. <laughs> I just googled it because I was like, "What you said didn't sound wrong. It didn't sound right." So I googled it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I stand corrected. So, anyway, so the the purpose of the water is basically again, sound energy plays a very big part in rockets, mainly because the um, when the fuel is ignited in any engine, right? The moment the fuel starts exhausting out you get a very very large sound and usually this sound can be heard from kilometers and kilometers away from the actual launch site and this is why if you actually you know you you probably have seen you know youtubers or people filming uh rocket launches and in these cases you know they can be you know 20 30 kilometers away and they can still hear the rocket launch so the idea is the sound created is so high that if not dealt with, it would, now this is kind of funny, it would literally destroy the engine that was making the sound. So the moment it launched, it would have just broken apart because the sound is so high near it. Wow. So what the water does is it basically calms it all down. I'm not entirely sure on how the water exactly removes the sound. Maybe a quick Google search might help. But basically, the idea is to remove all sorts of sound waves or sound energy that could potentially hurt the rocket. So, I mean, look out for these water tanks. You'll see it near any launch site. And almost, again, before any rocket launch, you'll always see this water that's being thrown. And, and that's kind of... I mean, I didn't know this before, and I think this is a really interesting fact that sound can destroy an entire rocket, you know? So I, I think it's a, it's a pretty cool fact. And just talking about sound, I just wanted to say, mm. quick little fact, that the loudest sound ever recorded was actually in 1883, and it was the eruption okay. of a volcano called Krakatoa. And... Oh. This is this was the like the loudest noise ever. Of course, this is why it's like a famous thing. I actually learned this in my physics class because we were dealing with waves and sound waves and stuff like that. But okay, um, apparently, the sound waves recorded from this eruption traveled the globe four times, and people heard the eruption four times. <laughs> That's how insanely what? loud. Your joke. That's how insanely Four times? loud this was. Yeah. Four times. Bro, what? Yeah. What does that even mean? Oh my god. I mean, I know that's not what I meant, but like, oh my god, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. It's ab that's absolutely insane. insane. Wow. That's quite quite commendable. I just wanted to say that there is an issue with the with the episode. Said so I wanted to talk about SpaceX so bad, but we we are yeah. actually not gonna have the chance to do that. Oh, I know. Okay. I was I was just thinking about this. Um so dear viewers, mm -hmm. we are going to be making a part 2. Like there's I'm looking at the amount of things that we need to talk about and this is completely my fault because Parker said we have enough yeah. things to talk about. <laughs> and I'm like, "No, we don't. There's no way we have enough." We absolutely did. <laughs> and I was clearly wrong. So this is my fault, and we are going to be making a part two because we have I have so many things I want to talk about, and so does Parker. Like we haven't talked about we haven't spoken about Apollo eleven, SpaceX. I wanted to talk about rocket fuel because mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Like the different types of rocket fuel, you know. So like we haven't really done that. But uh, interesting thing that I I do want to bring up, I guess before we close, um, because we because I was talking about how sound energy affects rockets, right? The thing is, a lot, a lot more affects rockets more than we think it does. What, what I mean by that is small changes or small errors in the rocket's design or in the launch or even the smallest thing that goes wrong, the entire rocket can just fail and capsize. <laughs> or not capsize is the wrong word, just blow up basically. And sad but true story, the, the, the Columbia explosion was caused and this is this is so sad but this is this is how careful people have to be so in the columbia rocket right in the space shuttle 
we had two solid solid rocket boosters on the side. Now, an O-ring, you know what an O-ring is? Like, um, basically like a ring to keep things secure. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's rubber. Mm. I, I'm not sure what material it is. But it's basically like a ring to keep things intact. So it's either on top of the booster, like on top of the engine, or basically like it's, it's just used to connect certain things. So one O-ring on one of the boosters was loose. And that caused it to snap, which then caused the fuel, the fuel line to break, which then mixed in with the, with the gas, with the, with the liquid fuel that was also being let out, which caused a huge eruption. So basically the point I was trying to get at is there are like with rockets, especially with rockets, like even the smallest thing in this 90 million, 500 million, depending on the rocket, dollar project. That is not accurate. <laughs> even like a $5 <gasps> screw if you mess up. Okay, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm not even joking. Like if, if a certain screw in a certain location is loose, one screw, like that could mess up the whole thing. I'm pretty sure like a screw that you use to build a rocket is going to be worth more than $5 a piece. <laughs> okay, again, I was the point that I was trying to make is that you got to be very careful if you're making yes, a rocket. That's basically the whole thing, right? Like there are many unsuccessful, unfortunate failures that simply occur not because of anyone's problem, but it's simply because, you know, the smallest mistake can have these crazy consequences, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to rocket science so to everybody listening to this podcast right now please let us know if you have any suggestions for episodes that you would like us to make oh yeah that's true we haven't we haven't got some of those in those in some time yeah there is there's a little issue is that you guys have very good suggestions mm -hmm. and we are noting down every single suggestion we actually have a have. whole in fact in fact, I have. Are you gonna show them? I have a, a yeah. I'll show. Them. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I have a, a document hey. full of things, of um, of uh, things we can talk about in the future. Here's it's like it's it's literally a whole document of all the ideas that either you guys have given us or we have, have ever had for this. Here's topic. the problem, though. A lot of these topics are very interesting, but we do have to like in order to talk about these topics for an entire hour. Mm -hmm. We'd have to do a lot of research. That is true. And we are actually in school right now. So we have other things to focus on other than like these like specific topics like string theory or chaos theory, things like that. Even though they're so cool, like I would love it. Like we actually have quite yeah. a few ideas, but almost all of them require quite an interesting amount yeah. of research. So, you know, and at the end of the day, as, as you said, we are in school. So, I mean, we, we can still do some of them. Obviously, they'll just take yeah. a little more time. It's mainly, okay, this is basically like, I think we can kind of share the podcast ideas, like how we come up with the ideas is very straightforward. <laughs> just not, not even like, I literally just think of it in my head and then I'm like, oh, we should talk about this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, yo, Parker. I think rockets are oh like uh, this this episode yeah. started off as an Elon Musk episode and I'm like yo and and no and then you're like let's talk about SpaceX and I'm yeah. like why don't we just talk about rockets and then you're like let's just talk about rocket science yeah. <laughs> so it kind of it kind of just kind of just bounces off like that so even though we have some really good ideas sometimes we ha just have some spontaneous ones and we're just like okay let's just make it you know so sometimes there you know things that get put on the back burner even though it's not unintentional so please you know? let us know of any suggestions Absolutely. Also, if you are listening to this podcast at this moment or right oh. now, please hit that follow oh. button and stay in the loop for when we post our episodes. Mm -hmm. Even though we do post every single Monday at 10 a.m. to kickstart your week. Yeah, to kickstart your... I was thinking because originally it was Saturday. <laughs> I love it now that it's Monday, yeah. you know, like on Mondays, you're like, oh, I feel so tired. I'm so bad. <gasps> the math and physics podcast is out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so please hit mean? that follow button. Also, follow us on Instagram at math.physics.podcast. Of course, all of the links are going to be in the description. So you, mm -hmm. you need not worry. Uh, everything will be found below uh, whatever you're on right now. So mm -hmm. if you enjoyed this episode... 
go check it out on YouTube too, by the way. Like, I think that's check it out on YouTube. That's, that's I don't I don't know if you mentioned it, but we're we're getting more people looking at our YouTube right now. I think it's mainly because of our clips and you know the fact that we're actually recording these episodes. Mm-hmm. So you know, let us know if you have any suggestions. Once again, this has been the Math and Physics Podcast, episode number forty-four, and. Uh, this has been Rocket Science. We've talked about Rocket Science. So yeah, I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, everybody.